Oh, you're calling me now. Is this, uh, this telling me what kind of mood you're in today? Feisty. <laughs> <laughs> let's get this shit done. Monday morning, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right, T.O. Well, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Except for the Beautiful eye. sunny day. Oh, yeah, the eye will clear itself. It's got big floaters in it. You know those sort of things that like look like molecules under a microscope? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in my left eye, there's lots of floaters. So um, I went in and had it checked, and the optometrist said, well, it might be a tear. Go and see the retinal specialist. So that's on Thursday. Oh, only might be. So not it is. It's just a might be. Right. She thinks it's a minor tear. Right. Uh, so, okay, so sorry. There is a tear. Uh, the oh. might comes about whether they need to repair it or whether it will repair itself. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll be fine. Worst case is I keep having floaters in my left eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than what having happened? floaters in the toilet bowl, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the $6 million man, Tony? Yeah. Like, why don't we have bionic eyes? I guess we do. I, I read about it from time to time, but yeah, we not do. an option for you to get a bionic eye. Well, but that's the next thing. Like, I'm getting this checkup. It was my annual checkup as well at the optometrist. And she goes, well, you've got slight cataracts and that's going to develop and get worse. So probably in five years, they'll cut the lens out of your eye and put a, a fake one in. And I'm like, great. Growing old is really fun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, well, good luck with that this yeah, week. Thanks. Yep. Uh, well, just uh, hello, everybody. So we're going to try something a little bit different this week based on some feedback from actually from Dr. J. Welcome, Dr. J, one of our recent subscribers. He said, he pointed out to me in an email, you know, a lot of the stuff is uh, you've been doing lately is Q&A and it's great, but uh, I'd like some sort of fundamentals of thinking about investing. And I said, well... Yeah, if you go back and listen to the first 50 episodes that we did in our first year, that's pretty much all we did was you <laughs> sort of talking about the fundamentals and bon mots and that kind of stuff. And well, I think we have veered a little bit to the other side, maybe too much now with the Q&A. And we're getting, we've got a million questions, which are great. Thank you, everybody. But what we're going to try and do is balance it up a little bit for a while, see how that goes. So I think we'll maybe start off doing some uh, 101 stuff, maybe looking at your journal entries over the last week, Tony, and talking about why, you're, why you've added this and that and the other and what your thinking is. And then maybe do that for half an hour and then we'll get into some Q&A stuff. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good. I think that's a good idea. Good feedback right. too. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, thanks, Dr. J. Um, you know, it's easy for us because we've been doing this now every week for 18 months to get sort of caught up and lost in it. And our long-term subscribers obviously probably like the Q&A stuff, but got to keep in mind that there are new listeners as well. Lots of new listeners, so welcome to all the new listeners and the new subscribers. Um, but yeah, if you have any ideas for how we can make it, make it a better experience for you, then please let us know. I also know that we're going in and saying, well, we're going, well, listen, there's 70 episodes backlog of hours to listen to is kind of overwhelming mm. too. We don't want to yeah. throw you into that conundrum. And I think, I think if anyone's new, uh, go back to season three at the start there where we re-recorded some of those early episodes for people. Yeah, I, for new people, I always send them an email saying, look, start with 301, 303, and 305. That's where we did the reboot um, on the methodology. But then you, you can go back and listen to everything in season one. And anyway, 
plenty to listen to. Before we get into the journal, though, I want to let people know that Stock Doctor are currently having an end of financial year sale. goes until the end of June. If you aren't already a Stock Doctor subscriber and you want to save a bit of money on a Stock Doctor subscription, this is your best opportunity. Um, They haven't told us about it, even (laughs) even though... (laughs) I spoke to one of their marketing people a couple of weeks ago, and she said, oh, we're going to have one. I'll let you know when it happens. They didn't let us know. But luckily, Stephen Mab uh, was talking to them late last week, and they told him, and he told me. So thank you, Stephen, for looking out for our subscribers. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're also saying, by the way, Stock Doctor, that their platform is almost at capacity. They did mention this to me on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and I noticed it's now on their website, saying meaning that they might stop taking on new subscribers when they're full. I don't know if I take them seriously when they say that. <laughs> that might be their equivalent of, you know, going out of business sale, uh, get your Persian rugs now, because we're going out of business, uh, but then the shop's still there a month later and you know what happened well we went out of business and then we went back into business i don't know yeah it could be a fake motivation i'm not sure who knows maybe they've got software and it constraints who knows yeah maybe well the way the girl pitched it to me a couple of weeks ago she said oh tim lincoln just thinks this is a nice number that's he wants to he doesn't want to get too many subscribers. He wants to have enough so we can give them the right kind of service. And he's kind of happy with where it's at. And he just wants to draw a line and say, that's it. We're not going to get any bigger. So oh. uh, I guess it's a good opportunity for someone like us to build our own product. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're saying, listen, yeah, we want this room for more players. Uh, somebody else go in there. I would have thought anyway. it's all just uh, extra margin for them if they had new subscribers. Yeah, I mean, I know that they also do, you know, try and have a good level of customer support. Yeah, I get yeah. phone calls and emails from people there. Maybe, yep. I, I don't know. Anyway, yep. that's that. No, that's, um, that's also, want to want to thank Mark H for providing the Roger Montgomery method of calculating IV. Sent that through to us this week, and I threw that up. I think in the QAV Club Facebook group or something. So. If you're interested in that, you hopefully have seen that. I don't know what else I should do with it. Should I bother well, putting I think, that in the Bible um, no, or is it a bit it, too much information? Was, uh, I think that was in response to a comment I made that we could perhaps do what Scaffold does for us now in terms of the IV calculation. Uh, I, I did use that Warren Buffett way workbook years ago and put that calculation into my spreadsheet and then during the course of recording this program have taken it out and gone back to the EPS over hurdle rate calculation, which I thought was just as good and simpler than um, right. the Warren Buffett way, yeah. Which is the same as the Roger Montgomery way? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, it should be. Uh, the I emailed Roger years ago, maybe a decade ago about it, and he came back and said that's how he did it. So I, right. I'm assu- that's how he does it. I'm assuming that's what Scaffold are using, although we interviewed Scaffold six months ago or so and, and they seem to suggest they were using consensus forecast and modifying it so it may have changed scaffold being the company that oh i'm sorry is now share, share analysis, analysis. Yeah, yeah 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 sorry back when it was owned by roger it was called scaffold yeah yeah i also want to um thank andrew mclennan for emailing me one of our listeners suggesting that we reach out to tobias carlisle um the author of the book the acquirer's multiple uh, who's an Aussie, and I think from Brisbane, 
going by his CV because he got his degree in finance from the University of Queensland, now based in New York, runs a fund over there, value investor, reached out to him. We're going to have a chat with him next week, uh, which is lovely. Um, but uh, I downloaded his book and started reading it last night. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> to start reading it at 11 o'clock at night because at uh, 1 a.m. I was still reading it and I was like, oh, it's good. I really, uh, it's a great book. And I know you've mentioned it to me before. I think you got something out of it that's in the checklist, but I can't remember. What is it? The uh, One of the, the um, comparisons between um, operating cash flow and net equity? Uh, yeah, geez, I'm stretching my memory now. From memory, uh, before we got to the stage of putting a QAV filter in the Stock Doctor, I used to use the Acquirer's Multiple as a filter in Stock Doctor and download that data and then do some manipulations from there to get to uh, more of a QAV checklist. So the the um, I, I can't recall exactly what the filter was, though. But anyway, it, the Acquirer's Multiple is reasonably similar to our QAV filter. A few differences, but but um, yeah, it's probably the closest thing I've read to, to what I do. Yeah, I mean, um, well, without going into it too much detail because we'll have him on the show next week, but it, my takeaway so far from reading the first, I don't know, four or five chapters is that yeah, he's a huge fan of Buffett. Uh, he talks about Joel Greenblatt's book and then, uh, you know, talks about Buffett's wonderful companies at fair prices versus fair companies at wonderful prices and um, cigarette butts, et cetera, et cetera. But he, he talks about this metric, which is the enterprise value of a business, which is basically, as I understand it, their market cap less their interest and in tax liabilities and their debt which is not exactly the same as our net equity per share, but, you know, is a similar, is, is I guess, a different way of v- figuring out what a company is worth, what its value is. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> looking at their operating earnings, as he calls it, the operating cash flow, and um, finding the companies that have, what he's, they've done like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, regression testing over mm-hmm. decades and decades and decades, getting all of this data and looked at, said, found that the companies that had the biggest gap between those two, uh, the biggest, uh, well, the biggest, no, not the biggest gap, the biggest, low, the lowest score. I mean, he has a way of giving them a score based on their enterprise value and a score based on their operating earnings and tallying it up. Anyway, the companies that performed best on that metric massively outperformed the market over 30, 40 years, the share mm-hmm. price. And he's basically saying that's it. That's the only metric. If you want to look at one metric, that's the the metric to look at. And uh, you know, sounds very QAVE. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I just called up my stock filter for it, and I used to take market cap, net operating cash flow, and enterprise value, and throw the, throw those into a spreadsheet and sort on that. Mm. Uh, and I was finding that correlated pretty pretty you know pretty good with the with the uh, with our QAV checklist. So before I went to the went to the you know lengths I have in the last six months or so to um, automate what we do, uh, I was using that as my starting point to then mm-hmm. go and investigate companies, and they were they were also scoring well on our checklist. So that was a way of 
of sorting the wheat from the chaff early on during the uh, company reporting season. Right. Yeah, but I, I think somewhere in the book, I'm going from memory now because I haven't read it for a while, he gives the compound return rate and it was less than the QAV method, which is why I'm using mine and not his. Yeah, no, the re- compound return rate was 18.6%. Oh, there we that go. So, he yeah. said they delivered. Still pretty close though, isn't it? It's high, but yeah. you know, one thing I've learned over the last 18 months is that that one point makes a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like much. You go, oh, it's just a percentage. <laughs> doesn't matter. But uh, that percentage over 30 years yeah. is a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, rec- I recommend the book to people. It's, it's very good. And, it, yeah, it's, it's along the same lines as our thinking. So, so we'll get, um, we'll get uh, him on next week, I guess. We've got, uh, I don't know when you'll put this out, but we have a week to get questions from listeners if they want to shoot some through on email or in the Facebook group. Uh, and we can include those in our interview with him. Oh, really? Gee, wow. Why okay. not? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, okay, fine, sure. Yeah, we should. Um, we've, we've also got some good interviews coming up this week. Speaking of stock talk, before we've got Elio D'Amato, Elio the Tomato is coming on. Uh, he was like the lead analyst, I think, for Stock Doctor for a long time. He left under mysterious circumstances a few months ago. So um, doing his own thing now. Um, he's going to come on and have a chat to us about what he's doing. Maybe give us the goss on Stock Doctor. We don't know. They don't seem to be too excited about coming on and talking to us. Keep inviting them and... Uh you know they keep going yeah yeah no we should really you yeah. should really do that yeah you should really do that anywho um the other yeah, thing i wanted the, sorry them and sorry. wilson asset management same thing yeah, well, yeah we should we should we'll get you yeah we'll get someone organized and then get back to us yeah yeah uh yeah and we also got uh, my mate yarn Rousseau coming on yes tomorrow tell well. everyone who yarn is yarn is the executive chairman of damstra which is a a uh, company listed at the end of last year, software as a service company, and uh, it basically automates HR for people like mine sites uh, and big industrial manufacturing plants, where uh, you, it, it's it's beneficial to link the uh, what what sort of training a, an employee has done with what sort of access it has to different areas of the mine site or the plant, uh, which it does using you know cards and swipes and things like that. Right. Yeah, and what's he going to be talking to us about? He's going to talk to us about how you value a software as a service business because this is what going back to one of my earlier questions is okay, all these businesses are doing so well in the on the share market, but how do you value them? How do we get to an IV of this kind of company? And uh, and you know, the am I, am I still a fuddy duddy in that I can't value these companies? So uh, Yarns agreed to come along and talk to us about how you do that, how the um, how the funds are valuing Damstra and talk about the company in general as well, what it's, what it's like to be a, uh, a chairman of an ASX-listed company. Right. Terrific. Well, thanks for setting that up. Mm. I also wanted to just mention briefly, I read a Michael Pascoe article in the New Daily uh, the other day called Are Share Markets Experiencing a Dead Cat Bounce? And I learned a new uh, four-letter acronym in that one. He talked about uh, FOMO, and he also talked about TINA. 
Uh, he also, f- yeah, FOMO, fear of missing out, we've talked about before, big driver of the markets. Tina, there is no alternative. Sounds um, like you have to say that like uh, James T. Kirk. There is no alternative, <laughs> Mr. Spock. That's, that's the old <laughs> Kirk, not the new yeah. Kirk. True. And, yeah. Yeah, there is no alternative. It's the uh, Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. Uh, is that the name of his ship? Something like that. No, the Kobayashi Maru was when Kirk goes in and re- reprograms yeah, the computer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he cheated. Cheated yeah. around the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Tina, so the, to, this is, he's quoting um, actually a guy here, Miss Anthony Peters, who he calls a distinguished British veteran of investment markets in general and bond markets in particular. In emails circulated to friends and acquaintances, he combines an enjoyable turn of phrase. Uh, for example, Joe Biden is a sheep in sheep's clothing <laughs> with, <laughs> with insight and experience. He began last week thus, and just, I just got to stop there. I love that. He began last week thus. That's just, that's great. I love it. Markets are demonstrating what might be described as Panglossian optimism. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Nobody goes into business, especially the investment business, because they're born pessimists. We are now in the middle of a third once-in-a-century black swan event of the past 20 years. The lesson so far has been that governments never seem to run out of other people's money when it comes to rescuing the economy. And the central assumption is that they won't do this time either. There is, of course, some pertinence in the observation that even if 10% of the working population is unemployed, 90% isn't and is therefore still earning and consuming. The fiscal shock, however, doesn't seem to have been included in investors' thinking. Since the development of quantitative easing in Japan in the 1990s and its adoption in the USA and Europe after 2008, Investors' scrutiny of public sector finance has become something of a meaningless task relegated to the graduate trainee's desk because it is blithely assumed that it'll be whatever it needs to be. Uh, It goes on to say, COVID-19, a trifle. Record unemployment, tut-tut. Public sector debt levels, their problem, not ours. China tensions, who cares? Buy while stocks last. (laughs) Markets are rising because of risk adversity. FOMA, FOMO, fear of missing out, and Tina, there is no alternative, have money pouring into the markets irrespective. Uh, anyway, so he goes on. Quite a, quite an enjoyable article, but uh, Tina, yeah, there was, uh, there was a new one for me. So again, I know we don't forecast and we don't really mm. care if it's a, a bear market or a bull market or a kangaroo market, <laughs> as I saw on... CNN Finance or Market Watch <laughs> or somewhere the other day. <laughs> Gosh, you're watching CNN Finance now. Wow. <laughs> no, I saw a clip of it on something. Kangaroo markets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we don't care. We don't forecast. We just read the numbers. If the numbers tell us buy, we buy. If the numbers tell us sell, we sell. Whether it's going up, whether it's going down, whether yeah. it's going round and round and round, we don't care. Yeah, there have been a couple of articles like the one you just read out recently and just a couple of observations. I did see a quote that might have been in Alan Kohler's report on the weekend saying that uh, savers have become investors because of the low interest rates. Savers have become investors. Investors have become traders and millennials have become day traders. So it's, yeah, it's this whole part of what's happening is this whole chase for yield 
which is pushing people who shouldn't be in the share market in some respects, like, you know, 75-year-old and 80-year-olds into the share market because they can't get any sort of income from their their savings in any other place. Uh, And uh, because of the volatility in the market, it's turning investors into traders. The millennials and today traders one is another interesting observation too. I've read some articles recently that there's been record opening of new accounts in the US and the UK in particular uh, by by people who are at home uh, who've got time on their hands and they're day trading. And some people are saying that's because they can't bet on the sports because the sports have been in shutdown. And some people are just saying they're just, you know, smart people who are at home and they've got some loose time so they're taking it up. Yeah. Yeah, so... So what that means for a market, though, is there's a lot more people in the market. Um, so probably volatility might continue, but who knows? Mm. Mm. Well, I'm trying not to uh, pat myself on the back too much. My reject shop shares are up 40%. <laughs> really? Since Congratulations. Since I bought them on the 25th of May. So take that, Eddie Donato. <laughs> Curse well, of Cameron Riley. <laughs> I think I think it was one of Eddie's buys too, wasn't it? From memory, I think Eddie told me he was going to short them. No, because I was buying them. He said he was going to short them. <laughs> Gee, forty percent. If only I had my whole portfolio in the reject shop. <laughs> I do have my whole portfolio in the reject shop. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations, anyway, you. But- That's great. Well, no, but I'm not, like I was telling Taylor the other day, he goes, that's amazing, you're a genius. I go, well, no, not really. I mean, the market's, you know, there's this bizarre exuberance in the markets right now, which I don't mm. think is going to last. I don't think it's going to stay up here. I think it's going to come back. Mean reversion, as uh, yes. Tobias Carlyle says in his book. It's all about mean reversion. And I thought before reading that, that's what happened whenever my dad started drinking again when <laughs> I was a kid. It was reversion <laughs> to the mean drunk, but uh, apparently... <laughs> It means something different in investment circles. It does. And you could make the case that the, we've reverted back to the mean. We're back to where we were before COVID, or getting close to it anyway. So it works both ways. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, let's get into... Uh, we're 20 minutes in and we haven't even got into your journal yet. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Uh, let's look at the journal. Where do you want to start? Do you want to go start... Uh, do you want to do the most recent first or the oldest last or the first recent up there, back, oh, I've, old... I've, I printed them off with the most recent first, so let's do that. Okay. So the most recent I had was Eclipse. Is that right? Is that what you've got? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I so I'm, I posted that on uh, to you last week to say that I was starting to buy Eclipse. Of course, the curse of QAV kicked in and it dropped 10% since I started buying it. So uh. Uh, I may pause that today. I'm not sure. I'll just have a look where it is once we get off the podcast. But anyway... Um, yeah, so Eclipse became a buy uh, last week or maybe a week or so, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I got around to buying it last week. Um, for people who want to know, Eclipse is a car leasing company mainly, and it's it's been through the wars in the last couple of years. It was it was a good, a good stock that I owned in the past, and then the management started to expand by acquiring uh, not really non-core assets, so... They bought uh, Gray's Online, which is a, a, an online trading platform. Uh, I think I think the link was that they were going to sell some of their excess car stock through it, but I don't know if they ever did that. They bought a driver education company. Um, so three or four acquisitions, which weren't core, but kind of related. They've, they really distracted management um, 
over the period that they were owned by Eclipse. And now someone has come in almost like a, a private equity buyer and taken over, well, not taken over the company, but taken over the role of CEO and is divesting them of all those of all those uh, non-core assets. And now they're focusing back on the main financing and leasing business, which is of motor vehicles. And of course, as we know, motor vehicles have had a bit of a downturn in the COVID uh, period. And so the share price has gone down, but uh, now that they're, they're almost through their divestments and things are starting to look up on the car front, the, uh, the share price is starting to rebound. Right. Yeah, we did I have thing about, the... Sorry, the thing about Eclipse is they had their results out. They're a March uh, year-to-date company, March and September right. for the six monthly numbers. So their numbers dropped uh, uh, in May. Right. And that's when they became a buy. So we have recent right. numbers to, reasonably recent numbers to work with. They won't include uh, much of COVID, but the sum of COVID is in there and uh, the numbers were good, at least from a QAV score perspective. And the three-point trend line, looking at it, would have come in around about... Oh, that doesn't work for me. Let's go back there. About a buck, buck ten. Yeah, using my three-point trend calculator spreadsheet, I've got a dollar sixteen as the buy price. Yeah. Uh, And it was trading much higher than that last week. It's dropped 10% back to a dollar twenty-one at the moment. So it's getting back towards that that buy signal. Uh, I, I may buy some. I might just keep buying more as a dollar cost averager. But if it gets below that a dollar sixteen price, I'll stop and uh, I won't buy any more. I won't sell because the sell price is is much lower. It's around sort of seventy five, seventy six cents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I've got that sell price in at seventy cents. Uh, but I won't be buying any more if we drop below that uh, that buy price at a dollar sixteen. Right. Mm. So even though it went above, in day, daily trading, it's gone above the buy line and mm-hmm. then drops back below the buy line. You'll still hold it because it's above the sell line. Correct. But I won't buy any more at this stage. Right. And if the monthly, because I know a couple of times in the past, in the last, you know, yeah. Post correction, we've sold because the monthly uh, price end price ended up being below the sell line. I mean, below the buy line. The buy line, yeah. Yeah, you bought it when it went above, then it dropped mm-hmm. back below by the end of the month, and you dumped them. Mm-hmm. I may, I may dump the clips if I can see the trend going down towards the sell line. Right, uh, but if it's kind of still hovering around that buy line, I'll hold them. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's Eclipse. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, uh, on the 11th of June, you oh, you talked about a bug. Is yep. there any stocks in that one? No stocks uh, in that one, no. Just, so. Oh, yes. No, you did. You put a price alert in for AGL. Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's have a look at, at the that bottom piece. of that. Price oh, alert for AGL with a buy price of 1970. Yep. What's going on with AGL? I haven't checked that today, so I'll have a look. We'll do this one live. No, it's dropped back to 1746, so it's gone below its... Uh... Oh, actually, I think I was just putting a price alert in, wasn't I? So it hadn't reached its, yeah. its, its buy price. No, you've put a price alert in. Yeah. You must have you must have got a positive score. You ran through the checklist, but yeah, it's me... uh, below the buy line. Yeah, let me just have a look at the uh, master checklist here. Yeah, so AGL is it's, it's on a price to cash flow of... Uh, let's just have a look at that price to cash flow of five five point three. 
and uh, without the three-point checklist, check sorry, without the three-point buy, it's uh, it's a QAV score of 0.06. But I would think if we if we put it into a an uptrend with the buy, it might improve on that. So it's getting close to being a buy. We'll just check it check it when it crosses the uh, the buy line. Right. It's, so one to watch um, that one. Yep. It's been coming down though for quite a few years. Like, yeah, yeah, peaked so in th- April 2017. Yeah, so this could be a catching the falling knife experience, and we're not buying it just yet. We'll see how it goes. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's keep going then. Uh, one more, maybe. Uh, Credit Corp. On the 10th of June, you said you were you'd set an alert for Credit Corp at 2486. Yep. And Good the share old price, credit corp. The share, share price dropped back from there quite quickly and suddenly. So uh, it's back at $17.11 now. So it's a long way off 24 I think when I put that in, it was about 20 bucks a share or 19 something like that. So it was getting close. Right. So normally I'll just put a price alert in. If it uh, looks like it's going up and it's getting close to the buy price, I'll put a price alert in Stock Doctor so I know when it crosses. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, Credit Corp has dropped back from that sort of getting close to the buy price situation. And its its five-year monthly graph looks very different to AGLs. It Mm. it was going from strength to strength until COVID. Yes, correct. Mm. And I I expect it to recover. It's just a question of when we buy in. Yeah. Yeah. Good quality company, but it is a leverage to uh, debt collection and how the economy is going and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and if the economy is as bad as uh, people you know, seem to think it is going to be when um, the milk starts running, stops <laughs> running out of the uh, government tit, uh, you know, could be boom times for CCP. Could be. I mean, the other thing that happens with CCP is they've got to buy bad debt uh, ledgers off people. And uh, for some reason... Oftentimes, the banks slow down that process during a recession. They did during the GFC anyway. They stopped selling their, their debt collection list for a while, perhaps because they were in a state of flux. And the banks have to run their own um, quant over those checklists to see whether they can be recovered or not. And when they get to a stage where it's not worth them recovering it, they sell them to Credit Corp. Mm. If, that's in a, if that's in a state of flux, maybe they just hold off on doing that until they can work it out. Right. Mm. Okay, well, again, we wait and listen to the numbers. You also mentioned Sandfire Resources. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. If you're brand new, welcome, first of all. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, If you're brand new, just letting you know we have a free episode each week and a premium episode, which usually goes for about another half an hour to an hour. And uh, that, in fact, today, I think the premium episode goes for another half an hour where Tony answers a lot of questions from our audience about the intricacies of investing. Um, And if you are brand new and you haven't already, go back and check out episodes 301, 303 and 305, as I said earlier in the show. And then go back and listen to the first season. There's a ton of stuff that you can listen to for free. If you decide you want to test out uh, QAV Club, becoming a premium member, listen to the full episodes, etc., Go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, sign up for a 14-day free trial and see if you think it's right for you. 
with the premium episodes, you get invitations to our dinners and our online video, live video chats with Tony. You can ask Tony questions. You get the getting started guide to Tony's system, access to the checklist, the watch list, other things. Um, I don't, I can't really remember off the top of my head. Uh, also, if you're brand new, please be aware that we're not financial advisors and you shouldn't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just us teaching how Tony thinks. If you're looking for financial advice, go see a financial advisor. Uh, with that, we'll be back later in the week with another free episode. We're going to do an interview with a friend of Tony's who's the executive chairman of a recently IPO'd company, Damstra. And uh, then we'll be back next week with another regular episode where we talk about what's going on and answer some more questions. So take care. Good luck with your investing. Stay safe. Avoid a second wave. <laughs> talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>